Welcome to the Primal Endurance Podcast. Slow down and enjoy the show, where we rap, literally, about everything you need to know. I'm your host, Brad Kearns. Are you ready? Let's go. Hey, listeners. Everybody's always talking at me. Everybody's trying to get in my head. I want to listen to my own heart talking. I need to count on myself instead. Did you ever get on a ride that wanna get on? Did you ever push away the ones you should have held close? Did you ever let go? Did you ever not know? I'm not gonna stop that. Name that movie. I'll give it all I got. That is my plan. Come on, name that movie. Bet on it, bet on it, bet on it, bet on it. High school musical, of course. See, we're not all about hardcore rapping here we're general interest thank you for listening general interest except for the specific interest of endurance on the primal endurance podcast and i'm gonna do a uh, part two today of the uh, brad update some stuff that i've been thinking about doing hope you enjoyed the last show where i was talking about the uh, more extreme fluctuations of stress and rest in my training patterns and how i'm enjoying that uh, getting that baseline of general daily activity, talking about the uh, dangers and risks of extreme cardio, uh, all kinds of good content. Next up is my obsession, my fascination with temperature therapy, both cold and hot. I've uh, been getting into this big time lately. I have a wonderful video on YouTube uh, where I'm going to the highest level of sophistication of cold therapy, which is, of course, the chest freezer filled with cold water, readily available anytime year-round for an ice-cold plunge. I keep my water down under 40 degrees, and it's a fabulous morning wake-up call and also uh, a evening ritual right before bed to lower my body temperature and prepare myself optimally for bed. I first found this on uh, YouTube. Guys were doing this uh, hack of buying the chest freezer, filling it up with water, and then plugging it in for only, uh, turns out to be only a couple hours a day. You put it on timer uh, because you don't want the water to freeze into an ice block as it would if you had the chest freezer going uh, around the clock. So instead of dealing with ice bags at the store, and I remember uh, early Tim Ferriss, 4-Hour Body, talking about uh, going to the store and getting, you know, 20, 40, 60 pounds of ice bags, filling up your bathtub. Oh my gosh, what trouble. It's kind of like the the Starbucks uh, phenomenon where if you're spending five bucks a day on ice, it can add up to, you know, a trip to Hawaii by the end of the year. So there had to be a better way. Um, Dave Cobrine down in Southern Cal had it going on for a while with, um, he had a chest freezer, uh, filled it up with plastic tubs full of water and made ice blocks every day, dumped the ice blocks into his bathtub after filling that with water, and he had a cold plunge going. But still, imagine the logistics of refilling the plastic tubs with a big block of ice, uh, throwing them down into the bathtub, using however many gallons of bath water every day just to get a few minutes of cold. So, oh my gosh, how much fun to go get a chest freezer. Craigslist, you can find these things used for, you know, 150, 200 bucks, Maybe less if someone's moving doesn't want it. Uh, I got a new one at HomeDepot.com delivered for free to the door, and it's a fabulous uh, unit. 
And especially whatever climate you're in, you have a year-round opportunity for cold therapy where uh, my general commitment to cold therapy uh, over the past decades has been uh, when I'm up in Mammoth running and put my uh, legs in the cold stream or the American River uh, in Auburn, Sacramento area where the water's pretty cold year-round. Uh, but then you're pretty much SOL if you're uh, in Phoenix in the summer or in the Midwest or wherever the uh, the surrounding uh, outside water areas are uh, unsuitable for a lot of the year. Same with my parents' house in LA. The unheated pool is great for about five or six months a year where it's down around 60. And then you jump into the hot jacuzzi at 104 and have that wonderful contrast therapy. But then for many months of the year, uh, you have no chance to get cold. And very few health clubs have that old uh, cold plunge pool, which I used to love when I snuck into the uh, Jack LaLanne health clubs in LA and just walking down the little steps and getting a, a cold experience was wonderful. So here's the deal with, um, we're going to talk about uh, the benefits of cold therapy and also hot therapy and kind of set you straight on what's the purpose of doing these. Uh, I called up my my old friend, Dr. Kelly Starrett, one of the most brilliant guys in the entire health and fitness scene. His specialty, if you haven't heard of him, is flexibility, mobility, moving the body in a correct manner for whatever your athletic goals are. Check him out at mobilitywod.com, mobility, W-O-D, that stands for workout of the day, an incredible treasure trove of content. Uh, San Francisco CrossFit is his home base, so stroll in there if you want to see the absolute cutting edge of uh, physical therapy, mobility, performance, rehabilitation. He works with uh, uh, top military personnel, NFL teams, world champion athletes. He's the man, the K-star, author of the best-selling book, Becoming a Supple Leopard, an absolute masterpiece. It's a giant book. It's got a cover price of, I don't know what, 50 bucks or something, but it's all about the best way to use your body and prevent injury. So he's big into cold therapy, and when he talks, I listen. He loves the chest freezer. He indicates that he has church services at his house twice a week. And of course, the church is the cold tub mixed with his uh, hot barrel sauna. So you're getting the contrast therapy of getting cold and then getting hot, and all his friends come over and have a great time doing that. Uh, so the the basics, uh, we're not going to get too deep into it. I'll get an expert on the show to talk about it, uh, but we do talk at length in the book Primal Endurance about the benefits of cold therapy. And basically what you're mainly going for here is a central nervous system effect where you get kind of a reset effect uh, to wake you up first thing in the morning uh, better than a stimulant. And especially when you dunk your head in and get that uh, drowning reflex going, it's a wonderful way to wake up. Just like jumping in the freezing cold lake when you're out there on vacation uh, and then coming back in the jacuzzi after your uh, day on the ski hill, all that kind of stuff. Uh, the Finns have it as a uh, major component of their culture where they're going into uh, the holes cut in the ice in the frozen lake in the winter and then dashing back into the sauna the sauna being the, the centerpiece of Finnish culture and often paired and often the saunas are built uh, at the shore of a body of water like a lake where they have this winter ritual that's so wonderful. So the contrast of hot and cold is basically giving your body what is called a hormetic stressor, a positive natural stressor that ends up to be a net overall benefit. So hormetic meaning beneficial and brief and when you talk about uh, jumping in a cold lake and staying too long, 
or jumping in your cold freezer and trying to set a record uh, and, and go for seven minutes instead of three or 12 instead of seven, uh, that's when you're talking about being stupid and stressing your body too much and compromising immune function. Obviously, that's where the old wife's tale comes that you'll catch a cold if you go outside uh, with bare feet or without uh, proper attire. That really is talking about staying out too long in cold temperatures and challenging your body too much to try to warm itself to the extent that you compromise immune function. So if you go for a short, brief exposure to cold or warm, then your body has to recalibrate and come back to homeostasis, get your body temperature down to the right level, warm up your muscles, warm up your digestive tract if you've uh, you know, exposed your internal organs to cold temperature. And the process of rewarming uh, is where you get the hormonal benefits and the cellular repair benefits. It's just waking up the body and uh, triggering the central nervous system to function more sharply because of that stressor. It makes sense. Simple explanation. Uh, you don't want to be freezing cold, and so everything's going to have to work and kick into gear. So you're kind of like lubricating the the gears, uh, revving the engine, and tuning up uh, your ability to, for example, rewarm yourself, and in the process, uh, the ability for your immune system to fight off invaders, for your cells to repair and uh, improve from, let's say, muscle damage from exercise. So the cold uh, plunge is mainly for these general cellular hormetic benefits for the central nervous system to uh, wake up and sharpen up uh, in in terms of a a morning experience. And then in the evening, uh, we know that part of the sleep process, the first part is the dim light melatonin onset, so the chemical uh, that spikes in your bloodstream on cue with the uh, setting of the sun or when it gets dark. Today, we make it dark artificially. So when we turn the lights off and close the the lid on our laptop or on our portable device, and then we ask the uh, dim light melatonin onset to take place, uh, the hormone floods your bloodstream and you start to feel sleepy. That's the effect of melatonin is to get you sleepy. That's one component of the overall process of uh, falling asleep, getting a good night's sleep. And another one is kind of uh, slowing down the metabolic rate and a lowering of the body temperature. So when we go to sleep, our body wants to be at a lower temperature. That's part of the process of falling asleep. That's why it's recommended to sleep in a, uh, a room uh, between 60 and 68 Fahrenheit rather than the heat cranked up. And even these enthusiasts of cold exposure, like uh, Ray Cronice, uh, the former NASA scientist who's become a big uh, person in uh, alternative health and fitness pursuits, he's got some good shows where he's big into contrast showers before he goes to bed. So he's going hot and cold and finishing with two minutes of cold and then trying to get in bed with as minimal covers as possible to keep that body at the lower temperature rather than snuggling under 10 blankets uh, as a component of falling asleep. Uh, Might be a little bit contrary to uh, prevailing conventional cultural practices where we associate getting buried deep in the blankets as a wonderful part of the evening ritual. But if you can think for a bit about that goal of maintaining a cooler body temperature, obviously not to the point of being uncomfortable, uh, but uh, facilitating good night's sleep, uh, definitely don't want to overheat or overwarm yourself. Uh, the Chili Pad, that wonderful new startup uh, that Mark Sisson's involved with, and I think Dr. Kelly's involved with also, 
where they sell a device uh, filled with water that can cool appropriately to your desire and you put it under your mattress or under your sheets, um, that's nice because you can customize it and sleep with a partner who might prefer a higher temperature. But just keep that in mind. Then we want to be slightly cool when we go to bed. And so that's where the chest freezer comes in. And, you know, I'm pretty excited about this right now. Let's check back in five or 10 years. But I think it's absolutely wonderful to end my evening with a little plunge into the cold tub. I don't make a big effort to stay as long as I do in the morning where I'm going through uh, 20 cycles of deep breathing to the extent that it lasts for around, my exposure lasts for around three minutes in the cold tub in the morning. So at nighttime, I'm probably in there for two minutes. But when I get out, I go straight to bed and I love the feeling of being a little chilly and just going to bed. And so everything's slowing down when we want to get a good night's sleep. Brain function, metabolic rate, body temperature. And so the cold exposure can be a nice device to help that. So as you gather, uh, my recommended best times to use it are morning and night. Here's an important point that uh, Kelly was sure to emphasize with me, is that you do not want the cold exposure anywhere near a training stimulus, anywhere near a workout. So when you finish that workout, and this has been uh, so long a, a tradition for the, the football players to go into the locker room and jump into the cold tub because your legs feel so good after a, a hard session when they cool off. And that's uh, just a function of um, lowering the inflammation and getting that immediate uh, sense of relief from the inflammatory processes that are in high gear after workouts. Ditto for the runners at the uh, high altitude training hotbed of Mammoth Lakes, California, where they do their 20-mile run, and then they go wade into the, uh, the creek and cool off their legs. And if you've ever tried it, it really does feel wonderful to uh, expose yourself to cold water right after a tough workout. Unfortunately, as the science is revealing, we want the inflammatory process to run its course after workouts because this is part of the training effect. The overall training stimulus is to go get your muscles pumped up, inflame them, right? That's the desired effect of a workout, whether it's running or lifting a bunch of weights. And then over the next uh, couple hours, as your body works hard to return back to homeostasis, you don't want to interrupt or short circuit that process with cold exposure. Uh, I don't know if this is an accurate comparison, but it comes to mind where um, if I have a headache, uh, my general approach to a headache is I want to get into a dark room and take a nap. I don't want to take a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory uh, Tylenol, ibuprofen, whatever, to arrest these uh, happenings and these pain receptors that are telling me that I'm fried and I need to rest. Uh, they do a good job, and if you need them, you need them. If you're about to go uh, give a big speech or do a, a brain operation, go ahead, take the, take the drugs. But the uh, interruption of the natural inflammatory process that uh, happens when you take uh, those medications, uh, over-the-counter medications, um, is something that will theoretically uh, compromise your ability to manage inflammation naturally over the long run. So I want to feel the inflammation uh, in the example of the headache. 
because it'll uh, regulate my behavior. It'll cause me to slow down, rest, stop what I'm doing. And same with the athlete after workout. You want to feel that tightness, uh, that swelling, whatever it is in those hours afterwards. So if you're going to use cold therapy, make sure there's this window on either side of your uh, workout, even if it's a, a casual workout. It's just not going to pair well. And that's new uh, cutting-edge info. So good to know, good to know. I'll say also that after a couple hours after the workout, I know that on hot summer days, I've had experiences where maybe I was out working hard in the garden or whatever, where I had a difficult time cooling down and getting back to homeostasis to the extent that I just felt fried. I felt lousy, even in air-conditioned setting. Um, So I think uh, I look forward to using the tub at those times, I haven't had it through 100 degree summer temperatures yet, but there's times where you just need to cool down. You need to cool down that that brain stem and the other parts of your body that are uh, you're just you're just working too hard to cool yourself down. You can kind of uh, improve that process with cold exposure. So that sounds like fun. And then on the other side, the hot. Okay, well I've loved jacuzzi for. Oh my goodness, um, 28 years now. I had the world's longest running jacuzzi. It was uh, submitted for the Guinness Book of World Records. I bought it in 1990 and it finally died in 2016. <laughs> I think I'd gone through like three motors, uh, but it was such a, a centerpiece of my life for so long, especially in the winter months. Uh, and I'd go in there with my son from ages zero to to 14 and there we'd have some of our best talks and enjoying the evening stars and just having the jets and relaxing. So the relaxing effect of warm water, well known. There's a whole industry around there. You can go get your spa delivered or like Mark, if they can't uh, get the spa through the backyard, they use a crane and uh, pick it up over his house and drop it on his upper balcony deck. Pretty fantastic. Do whatever it takes to get your spa in your house. Budget accordingly. Forget about kids' college funds and those uh, future payoff things. Do something right now for your health and get a spa. Or not. I don't know. Look on Craigslist. Sometimes they're cheaper used, but yeah, it's a pretty big investment now. So I'm going to plug the spa for general relaxation, enjoying life, uh, warming up on cold winter days. And I remember I would get cold uh, and dash out there for a few minutes several times a day because it was a nice break from work and I would be a little chilly in the house um, so that that's a great use of the spa, the social aspects, go out there, have your drink, listen to music. They're all so fancy now with the programmable Bluetooth and so forth. Uh, but back to the hot, the heat therapy and the hormonal and cellular benefits of heat exposure, um, as, as Dr. Kelly reminds us, it's super difficult to get your body temperature up to that level where you're going to experience these vaunted benefits of heat therapy such as the uh, creation of these heat shock proteins that have been uh, generating great excitement and interest in the scientific community. Uh, Dr. Rhonda Patrick, you got to know her. She's cutting edge and putting out some amazing content. So search for her podcast, look for her on YouTube, and she talks at length about heat shock proteins. I think she got into it with Joe Rogan. It's always a great show when Joe has her on there. Uh, So she's one of the leaders in the communication uh, about heat therapy. But basically what happens is you got to heat your body up in a sauna and get really hot to the extent that you're sweating, 
and super uncomfortable and can't wait to get out of there in the last several minutes. And that's when you get these uh, hormonal and cellular benefits of heat exposure. Uh, As you know, even if you're in the spa for hours on end, um, you're not going to get overheated to that uncomfortable extent. So it's a little different type of uh, strategy here when we're talking about uh, the... um, the sophisticated benefits of sauna exposure versus the kind of the relaxation angle of the spa or the warming up if you're chilly. Um, good to have a spa around if you've had a hard day skiing and you're chilly and all that, but in terms of the the science where they're showing this exposure to uh, significant heat uh, helps protect against cardiovascular disease, helps improve brain function, helps improve cellular repair, helps improve recovery from strenuous exercise. That's when we want to get into the sauna aspect and what's the difference between the very popular infrared sauna and the traditional dry sauna where you're getting uh, that uh, temperature up to, uh, what is it, 180 or 190 or higher in the dry sauna, and then the infrared uh, environments are 130, 140. Um, Kelly says he likes the hotter stuff. I do too. I kind of like really going in there and sweating and getting super hot uh, in a traditional sauna. But the infrared saunas have this effect of, uh, uh, it's described uh, by my buddy Angelo Dela Cruz, who's got a nice unit in his uh, therapy room down at the Fit uh, Club in Los Altos, California. Great body worker, great trainer. Highlight of Primal Con for many years. I, I checked out Angelo's unit and uh, it's only 130, so you're not getting that dripping sweat effect, but you're cooking your body from the inside out, like a, a toaster oven effect. So you're getting uh, the cells heated up uh, to the extent that you're kind of uh, running a mini fever, right? So if you go sit in the infrared sauna for 30 minutes, you're kind of getting the experience of a miniature uh, fever. And what happens when you get sick? You start running a fever because you're fighting off the invaders. The immune system is fighting back uh, for invasive organisms. So uh, if you're not sick and you're going for infrared, you're going for those cellular benefits. And boy, oh boy, now these things are portable, they're accessible. Uh, what are they, a few grand? I saw one on Craigslist for maybe 1500 They can fit in a room in your home or your garage or whatever. So uh, I decided to join the nearby health club so I can get uh, close enough. I can pop over there and spend some time in their sauna Uh, And I have my cold plunge here. So the contrast therapy ideally would be on site where you're going back and forth from cold plunge to hot sauna, like at uh, Kelly's church services in uh, Mill Valley where he lives. Sign up online, get a a time from uh, 8 a.m. to 11. I'm just kidding. Private invitation only. Don't show up just because you heard Brad on a podcast. Uh, but if you can get this uh, contrast therapy, it's just wonderful. Um, the The science aside, I find that if I'm going back and forth uh, from that cold swimming pool in the winter in LA at my parents' house and then jumping in the spa and then back in the cold pool and then back in the spa for however long we're out there, oh my gosh, you finish that experience and you just feel so relaxed and ready for sleep if it's at nighttime, as long as you finish with cold, remember. So uh, I'll get out and finish with uh, a cold hose off for a couple minutes to make sure that uh, my body's kind of ending on the cold cycle rather than uh, getting out 
on the uh, on the hot cycle and being a little bit high temperature before bed. Other times a day, especially in cold weather, my goodness, I mean, go hot, cold, hot, cold, and then finish hot, get up and go about your day. Fun stuff. So as you can tell, I'm pretty enthusiastic about, uh, we'll call it temperature therapy, encompassing hot and cold. So yeah, been in the sauna at the club. How about that? Here's a dude, joins the club, goes get, uh, you know, scanned at the front desk, and then heads straight into the sauna. I, I don't really look around or care what other people think, but it's kind of funny to like skip all the weights, all the classes, all the machinery, take the sauna, and then leave out the front door. So far, I haven't had any weird second looks, uh, but these guys, man, they haven't seen my my home setup. I really like to have uh, uh, the home environment set up for easy access for fun little one-off things like a few sets of the stretch cords or the 45-pound plate where I'll do a set of deep squats and then a set of uh, overhead raises with the plate and then put it aside and go about my day. So um, I like the uh, focus workouts. I don't like them to last that long. I might be like a 20-minute guy and then I'm completely done. And I also like to throw into the picture, as I talked about a little bit before on the previous update show, I like to have these uh, incentives around where I can engage in uh, a little bit of uh, strength training something high intensity to break up my uh, prolonged sedentary period. So I got the pull-up bar, I'll do a set, maybe two. I got the stretch cords, I got the 45-pound plate where I can haul off a set of deep squats, uh, the plates resting on my back, and then I'll do uh, the races, the extension, so I'm working the back muscles, and then go on about my day. So it's not really counting as a workout, but if you add it up over the course of a week's time or a month's time, I'm playing with a lot of these toys that are just uh, in my sight, in my daily routine. I don't have to schedule time, get in the car, drive over there, look for a parking spot. (laughs) Some of that stuff's kind of ridiculous, really, especially in California. I don't want to criticize you if you're in Calgary in the wintertime and you need to go drive to a safe place to run uh, 100 laps around their tiny little track. Of course, that's reasonable, but uh, you see people uh, fighting for parking spots on a sunny spring day in California and you're like, well, uh, why is the trailhead parking lot empty? That's what I wonder. I think getting out there in nature is extremely important as a component of your overall commitment to exercise. Of course, you got gym work and weights and things that you're uh, going to be obligated to do inside. But in fact, I have things like my uh, he- my new hex bar, my favorite new toy for uh, safer deadlifts and uh, spreading the load to both quads and hamstrings. Got that puppy outside. I got the regular barbell outside, I got the 45-pound plate outside, and uh, getting some fresh air, uneven ground, all that uh, interesting, fun stimulus, rather than being inside a locked room uh, every single time. So mix it up a little bit, and don't be afraid to work out at home. In fact, I have to admit, because I want to be honest and authentic and vulnerable to you listeners, um, I motivate myself to do an intense workout at home with the thought of having to go drive over to the gym. So I say, well, I should go to the gym today. Uh, It's time for a strength training session, Uh, but I don't really feel like it. So if I just do enough stuff around here, I'll skip my trip to the gym. How's that sound? (laughs) It works for me. It might be goofy, but whatever it takes to motivate yourself, and that's one of my little tricks, is I say, well, I can either go do this whole formal thing or just knock some stuff out here. (laughs) I used to do the same thing back when I was a triathlete. 
because the formal swim workout in the wonderful uh, 25-meter pool with the coach and my peers and a lively, engaging swim session uh, was about a 35-minute drive from my house at rush hour, of course, because the swim workouts were at 5.30 or 6.30. And, oh my gosh, the last thing I wanted to do after a tough day out there running or riding my bike for hours was get in a car and fight rush hour traffic for 35 minutes to go do this cool swim workout. Love the swim workout. Love the the gang there. Loved hanging in the jacuzzi after and shooting the breeze. Um, But many, many times I would look next door at the community pool, which was only 17 yards unheated, so it was good for three months of the year. But in Northern California, as we got into September, October, November, I had to train until the final race in December. I would get in there in November and I'd put on a full wetsuit and a hood. And now we're talking the waters, you know, in the low 50s or maybe high 50s as we get uh, late November. And um, I would do my workout there instead of driving all the way across town. And having a three-hour turnaround, I would jump in. Of course, I didn't stop. I had to swim hard for 45 minutes straight. Otherwise, I'd uh, get chilly, uh, even with the wetsuit on. And then I'd be in my jacuzzi, relaxing, and letting the bubbles hit me 45 minutes later. So I'd literally stand in the driveway and think, should I drive down there? Or can I just get it done in the freezing cold pool next door? And that was another motivator along the same refrain as having the cool stuff uh, around your house. So there's some fun stuff uh, I've been doing. Uh, One more thing I should mention, I've done some shows on it. So look for the show with uh, Dr. Tommy Wood. Uh, But uh, this uh, concept of uh, kickstarting my digestive circadian rhythm in the morning with a super nutritious green smoothie packed with uh, vegetable matter and healthy fats such as the uh, base of almond milk or coconut milk, the MCT oil, uh, various performance agents that were custom recommended to me but good for all endurance athletes, especially those eating in a fat-adapted keto-style eating pattern. So I put creatine in there, I put L-carnitine in there, and I have a whole video showing all the different ingredients that go into this action-packed, nutrient-dense morning smoothie. So that's kind of come into the mix uh, right up next to uh, my usual practice of fasting until midday as part of a overall uh, compressed eating window, primal paleo, and especially keto eating strategy. I tried to throw something in there so I have a little bit more variation in my daily routine and oftentimes will start my day with this green smoothie, but not always. Other days I'll decide to fast and a lot of times I'll have this smoothie and then I'll fast for a long duration period over the course of the day until dinner, which is kind of a new thing for me too, because if you don't start eating until noon and you're a high-calorie burning athlete trying to recover from crazy stuff over the age 50, uh, you're going to be kind of eating uh, a lot once you start the clock at lunchtime, and then you're snacking a little bit, and then it's dinner time, then you're snacking a little bit, and you've gone at it pretty well. So having this smoothie in the morning, I feel like has been a big benefit to me, especially because it makes sure I cover all these bases with Uh, not only the uh, nutritious greens, but all the supplemental stuff I'm putting in there, like the creatine and the probiotics, the whey protein in the primal fuel, uh, the concentrated greens from my Organifi Greens product. So definitely uh, helping me uh, perform better. I feel like I'm uh, performing better, recovering faster since I've been doing this green smoothie practice uh, dating back to September of 2017. 
And when I said digestive circadian rhythm, uh, I want to refer you over to uh, Rhonda Patrick's YouTube interview with Dr. Sachin Panda, P-A-N-D-A, UC San Diego. They have two interviews full length on YouTube over an hour, and his research in the laboratory is about this concept of digestive circadian rhythm and the idea that when you first consume anything, uh, not necessarily calories, but any xenobiotic substance, anything that requires being broken down in the body, that's when your digestive circadian rhythm starts for the day, and that can uh, kind of be a good thing to wake you up and kickstart your body into uh, optimal metabolic function for the day, whereas fasting uh, is going for different goals, uh, getting that autophagy and the apoptosis that we talk about so much. But if you're like me, I sometimes will complain of not feeling uh, top energy in the morning, not able to get going. I think a lot of people in the world will point to uh, coffee as one of their uh, strategies for the morning. But to me, that's not ideal. I don't want to uh, slam my central nervous system with a stimulant when I'm really not feeling uh, wide awake naturally. So I want to look for more natural ways, including the cold plunge and then coming in and making a smoothie and kickstarting my digestive process. So think about that. Another, uh, another idea, another fun thing. Um, and furthering that, uh, this is again coming over into material that we covered in detail in the show with Dr. Tommy, but maybe I'll inspire you to go listen to that because this uh, green smoothie suggestion that he made came in the framework that I also, uh, he also wanted me to consume more total daily calories. He felt like I was so deep into um, the keto and the appetite management and the hunger management that maybe I wasn't getting sufficient calories to align with my athletic goals. So Chris Kelly, the other principal at Nourish, Balance, Thrive, reviewing all my detailed uh, test work from uh, blood, urine, stool, saliva, showing some of these hormonal profiles and uh, thyroid function that was maybe a little sluggish due to the combination of um, maybe under-eating, not eating a lot of calories, and then trying to perform these high-intensity strenuous workouts or even long-duration endurance workouts. So I feel like it's worked for me to expand my perspective away from how long can I comfortably fast to how can I strategize to get a broad diet of nutritional foods Obviously, not overeating to the extent that I'm going to add body fat, so that's kind of my parameter on the other end, but on the uh, on the lower end, as Dr. Tommy describes, his uh, classic line, controversial line, where he said, you should be eating as many calories as you can, as many nutritious calories as you can, uh, without getting fat. So that's a real eye-opener uh, to compare that to um, some of these... Um, uh, keto and, and uh, primal paleo standards of getting really good at fasting, seeing how long you can last without a meal. Uh, we don't want to get kind of um, carried away on either end. So I'll remind you that rather than taking sides and saying that these are warring opposing points of view, um, two things to consider. One is your current uh, metabolic state of health. So I'm talking to you as a person who uh, has uh, good blood work, no risk factors, and uh, optimal body fat levels, so no desire to reduce my percentage of body fat. 
So I might have a different set of decision-making parameters than someone who has coming from metabolic damage, has difficulty reducing excess body fat, and might benefit further from, let's say, prolonged periods of fasting or ketogenic periods where they're uh, really distinctly limiting their carbs so they can kickstart that fat burning, get rid of the excess body fat, and then come back to a more normalized pattern where maybe some nutritious carbs are added in. So first we have to look at the individual metabolic state, but thinking about that big picture of trying to maximize the nutrient content of your diet uh, has really helped me uh, see things differently and relax a little bit from trying to lock into a pattern every single day that might be counter to some of my intuitive senses. In other words, my caloric intake uh, is known <laughs> is known to vary based on my activity levels uh, surrounding that. And um, I started doing some long-distance mountain biking because I got my son and my nephew into it. We're having so much fun riding over the mountains from San Fernando Valley to the beach in LA and seeing the ocean and going for a swim. And so I haven't really biked for any significant duration in about 16 years. Uh, so there's not a lot of fitness there. So going for two and a half hours is a stretch for someone who's just been putzing around the neighborhood for a long time. And I noticed uh, paired with these occasions of uh, a long distance endurance effort has been um, massive uh, caloric binges in the days and days, and especially that evening and the days that follow. So I'll go and make some sweet potato fries and polish those off, and then uh, chase that with some bowls of popcorn while we're watching TV. And it was all because of the, um, you know, the unusual event of a two and a half hour bike ride coming out of nowhere. And I think you have to honor those honestly. So you know, when you're hungry or when you're craving something as an athlete. Uh, these are signs to honor, but if you look at patterns and notice that you're getting home every night, uh, from the gym or from the pool workout or whatever, and you're wanting to polish off a pint of ice cream, you're likely locked into a, uh, overtraining carbohydrate dependency pattern. So it's not necessarily, uh, healthy to have, uh, I guess, cravings for sweets and things, but once in a while, uh, your body's going to do you right when you listen to it. And we always want to uh, keep this discussion properly framed with the idea that we're talking about nutritious calories. And no matter who you are, no matter how many miles you run, there is never any call to ingest uh, nutrient-devoid junk foods. Um, this is something that a lot of athletes struggle with or disregard and think that they have earned a free pass to uh, the Jamba Juice and the Ben & Jerry's and the Cheesecake Factories of the world because they put in uh, all that exercise hours and volume, or maybe because they are carrying optimal body fat levels and they don't have visible negative effects of eating this junk food. But I'm going to argue in return that if you're an athlete with athletic goals and you're pushing your body with challenging workouts, your nutritional needs are vastly more significant than the person in the next cube who walks their dog around the block as their exercise. So your diet should be cleaner than the um, the comparative standard, rather than a little sloppier here and there, just because you're not um, you know, carrying a lot of excess body fat. And if you're an endurance athlete and carrying excess body fat, that's a clear indication that you have carbohydrate dependency patterns, rather than being expert at being fat adapted. Because if you're training 5, 7, 10, 12, 18 hours a week, uh, arguably, if you're doing it right, and what our goal is with the Primal Endurance course 
and all the videos with all the experts and the tying of the diet to the aerobic training and the periodization of uh, adding intensity in the proper way, the goal is to put you down at optimal ideal body composition levels effortlessly and also maximum nutritional value from your diet. Okay, that's what's up with me. Thanks for listening. Definitely uh, try out some temperature therapy. It's super fun. I think most of you uh, can get access to a sauna if you're a member of a club. And if you really want to go for it, I strongly recommend investing in that chest freezer and trying it out. Oh my gosh, you'll love it. It'll change your life. Talk to you soon. This is your host, Brad Kearns. Hi, Brad Kearns here with something different than a stiff commercial script message. I want to give you an authentic endorsement for one of my favorite supplements of all time. It's called Adaptogenic Calm. It used to be called Primal Calm, and the key ingredient in this formula is called phosphatidylserine, or PS. And this agent has been shown in hundreds of studies to blunt the catabolic effects of the stress hormone cortisol in the bloodstream that's released in response to all forms of life stress, whether it's a series of difficult workouts, extensive jet travel, personal stress of any kind. We're constantly triggering the fight-or-flight mode in modern life. And when people say, hey, you should take a chill pill, this really is a chill pill. Because when you consume an appropriate amount of phosphatidylserine and the other supportive ingredients that have been known to have a calming effect on the central nervous system, things like magnesium, L-theanine, magnolia bark, and rhodiola, you will get a calming effect. It's not like a stimulant product that makes you feel more energy and have a better workout but instead this sort of takes the edge off of that stress buzz where you feel that foggy brain function maybe a little shaky and finally fried at the end of a busy stressful day this stuff will help you clear your bloodstream from those catabolic stress hormones before they can do the damage so i like to take significant quantities of it in and around stressful events such as jet travel or in those heavy training cycles when you're really pushing your body and trying so hard not to fall into that overtraining, overstress, foggy brain function spiral downward. That's right, phosphatidylserine has also been shown to enhance cognitive function. It's commonly used in Europe on cognitive decline patients. And you can make that connection between when you're frazzled and overstressed and how your brain doesn't work quite as well. So this is a brain function enhancing, stress hormone reducing, secret weapon, adaptogenic calm. Look for it on primalblueprint.com.